0: Tonight's one of my favorite topics to talk about. And so I'm, 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 I'm actually pretty geeked out uh, to speak tonight on this topic. It's one of those that, uh, in my opinion, it's like the motor and it's the, it's the, no, it's not the motor. It's the fuel that gets the motor going in our Christian faith. All right, but before we get there, before we get there, I just wanted to bring you back a little bit uh, of something I've observed over my years. If, if you know me at all or you've been around me, You know that uh, back in my college days and a little bit after college, I worked uh, at a summer camp. And I went through, I I worked at several different camps, uh, has a lot of different age groups from 7-year-olds all the way to 18-year-olds. Worked with uh, staff from all over the country. And one of the observations that I made every summer was there are good counselors, there are awesome counselors, and there are terrible counselors. And here's what I noticed. Here's what makes the difference. The good and awesome counselors are one of two people. If you're going to be a good counselor, you either a have never been to that camp ever as a kid, and you show up and you have no idea what's happening, and so you are just a sponge, like, okay, what do I do? Where do I go? How should? Okay, what are the cheers? Um, okay, I got to write these down. Like you're you're trying to figure out what what is it to be a counselor. At this summer camp because you have no experience. So you're just a sponge soaking it in. And they get to mold you because you have no preconceived notion of what it's like to be a counselor. So those counselors were usually pretty good counselors. The other person who's a really good counselor or a fantastic counselor are the former campers. They like grew up their whole life attending this camp. And they know everything about it, and they've seen it change their life. Maybe they gave their life to Jesus as a little kid at this camp, and they saw the impact that those counselors had on their life, and now they want to turn around and do the same. They're like, okay, now I'm old. I want to turn around, and I want to show some kids Jesus. I want to encourage them. I want to spur them on in their faith. I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. And so those are the two types of people, either they have no idea what camp is all about, or two, they've been through the camp, they've grown up at that camp, and now they want to turn around and say, you know what, this camp, God used this camp in my life, so now I want to go and serve there. And then there's the terrible counselor. And without fail, almost every terrible counselor I ever met at this camp had one thing in common. They were that former camper that grew up in the camp world, but when it was time to become a counselor, they could not flip the switch that it's no longer about them. And they were terrible counselors because they thought, you know what, I'll just, when I'm in college, I'll go back and it'll still be the same fun. I'll get to do the zip lines and the blob, drive a boat, whatever. And what you realize when you become a counselor is, no, no, it's no longer about you. It's about the kids. And so those counselors that could not make that change, could not turn um, their perspective, were typically terrible counselors. They were terrible co-counselors because they were always worried about what they wanted to do. They were worried about their experience. They were out there flirting with the girl counselors because that's what you do. Like, Like, are you kidding me? Right? Like, that's kind of what happened. There's those three types. There's the good ones, the great ones, and the terrible ones. And the terrible ones could not turn their perspective. They still thought camp was about them. The reason I share that story is because over the last, basically, two months, we've been going through this series called, Am I Doing This Right? And over the past probably about eight or nine weeks, almost, I, almost every talk that we've done has been focused on us, you right? The very first week we talked about discipleship. What does that mean for you? The second week we talked about salvation and the transformation of giving your life to Jesus, your faith. Then week three, Marty came and he talked about the Holy Spirit and your prayer life. Then the next week I spoke on the idea of like reading God's word and actually applying it to your life. And then the next week we talked about being committed to community. Who are you hanging out with? Who are Who is encouraging you in your faith? Then the next week, uh, Bill came and he spoke on the Christian worldview. How do you see the world? Do you see it through a gospel lens or do you see it through my lens? And then last week, I talked about how helping you cultivate your faith. And so tonight is where we turn. Tonight is where we're going to take the focus off of us. And we're going to talk about the thing, the one thing that I believe in my experience in my own life and the life I've seen of other people, that this is the fuel that lights the fire of your faith. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. So I want you to prepare yourself that this talk is not about you in particular. This is about the greater call on your life as a Christian. And so just start, I want you to start getting ready for that. All right, because I know with this topic comes a lot of me thoughts, a lot of sphere thoughts. And so we spent these weeks talking about you, but like I said, at a certain point as Christians, we need to turn the page and move beyond move beyond being poured into where we start to pour into others. Instead of always being the one receiving the life-giving message of God's grace through Jesus Christ, we become the givers of the gospel. Instead of coming to church to receive, we come to serve. And instead of looking to get, we look to give. Because if we're honest, I think sometimes, uh, especially in the American church, it's easy to get lulled into this idea that the gospel, that the Bible, and the church is all about you. And surprise, it's not. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is about Jesus, who came to rescue you, yes, but the Bible is about Jesus. And so we don't want to ever get that confused that even though we've talked about this question, by doing this right, we talked about faith, we've talked about prayer, we've talked about studying your Bible, we've talked about your community, we've talked about cultivating your faith. All those things are very me-centric. And if we're not careful, our whole faith will become me-centric. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Like, you go to church, you're like, mm, that sermon didn't really hit me that hard, or that one hit a little close to home. Or, ah, they played all my favorite songs this morning. It was great. I loved it. Oh, man. But when they don't, it's like, "Yeah, yeah, church is okay. It's not about you. Church is where we come to worship God because he is the main character. He is the focal point, not us. And so we do get lulled into believing that our faith in Christ is primarily about us. But let's be clear, our Christian faith is and will always be about Jesus, and being on the same mis- mission Jesus Christ was on. And that mission was this, to glorify the Father, to conform us to the image of Christ, and to bring outsiders in. And I don't know about you, maybe you, maybe you feel like an outsider. Maybe you felt that before. Maybe you feel that tonight. Maybe this is your first time and you feel like, I don't go to crossings. I don't know this Andy guy, whoever he is. And like, you're like, this. I'm just new. I don't know anybody man, I wanna just take a minute and thank you for coming because you are welcome here. Whether you are a Christian, whether you are seeking, whether you're doubting, wherever you are, you are welcome here. We welcome you home to the family of faith. So I don't know if maybe that's you. Maybe you were the new kid. Maybe you moved around a lot. So you, that feeling of being the outsider, being the new kid is very familiar to you. Or maybe you're that person like me that like went to the same school in the same neighborhood my whole life and I never knew what it felt like to be new. And I work at the church, so I've never felt out as an outsider here. I work here. So if you're, even if you're there, if you're like, hey, Andy, I don't know what that, I've always kind of been, feel like I fit in pretty well. Then I want to encourage you, like I hope tonight maybe gives you a glimpse of what it looks like to be the outsider. And our call um, from God on our lives to them. Because tonight I want to talk about the fact that God has a call on your life, and it's time to flip that switch, to go from being me-centered to gospel-centered, to the outsiders. And tonight we're going to look at how following Christ means seeking outsiders praying for open doors and taking advantage of every opportunity to share the gospel because that is what Jesus was all about and it's what Jesus calls us to do. And here's why I get so excited about this. If you've been around me for any length of time, you know, you've heard me say this, the most exciting thing in your faith, the thing that gets you up in the morning and gets your blood pressure going and makes your palms sweaty is sharing the gospel. It's terrifyingly exciting. And I will promise you this, I'm gonna make a bet that if you're sitting here tonight and you're like, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time, or I've been a Christian for X amount of years, and you're a bored Christian. If that's you, if you're like, uh, eh, I can take it or leave it. If I go to church, no big deal. If I don't go for two months, I'm, I don't really miss it that much. Here's the deal. If your faith is boring, I can almost guarantee you, you are not engaging in sharing the gospel. Here's why I can guarantee that. Because as you look at scripture and you see Jesus doing ministry... What you see is adventure. You see crazy stuff happen. You see God of the entire universe, the God who created you, welcoming you into what he's doing. Did you catch that? The God of the universe is asking you, asking me, say, come with me. I want to show you. I want to blow your mind. But instead, we let our fears and insecurities Keep us from joining with God on what He's doing. It's one of my favorite topics because this is where our faith comes alive. God wants you to work with Him. He wants you, think about this. How much we pay for a courtside seat at a Thunder game to watch other human beings put a ball into a circle? It's crazy. People spend a lot of money to sit on those courtside seats. But God wants you. He's inviting you in to be a courtside, not just courtside, but on the court with him as he transforms and rescues people and brings the dead to life. He's saying, come on, come with me. And that's when your faith gets crazy exciting. When all of a sudden your fears disappear because what you see God doing in you and through you and in the people around you, it's like a drug. And you can't get enough of seeing God work in people's lives. Heal the brokenhearted. Rescue the lost. Like we can talk all day long about spiritual growth. We can talk all day long about worship. We can talk all day long about prayer. We can find topics to keep ourselves busy. And honestly, to make ourselves feel like we're doing good. But if we don't do this, what we're talking about tonight, then why do we even have a faith? It'd be like you go into your job, your boss saying, here's your job description. The number one thing is this, and you never do it. And we never do it. Like, we wouldn't have that job long. But when we look at the Gospels, the story of Jesus, we see him doing things over and over and over and over, and that one thing is seeking the outsider and bringing them in. That's the one thing we see him do. Over and over, and he talks about it, and talks about it, and talks about it. So tonight we're going to be in Colossians chapter four. If you want to turn your Bibles there, we're going to be in Colossians four, two through six. And as you turn there, I just want to give you a little quick overview, as I usually like to do. Um, this is a letter to the church in Colossae. He's just giving the church instructions on how to how to do church, um, and and he's showing us that God is concerned both about our personal prayer life and our interaction with the world he cares about both the prayer closet and the public square he wants and he wants us to care about that as well and you see throughout the book of Colossians you see Paul constantly redirecting the church that's often distracted from what we're supposed to be doing so follow me here Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. My first point tonight is this. As followers of Christ, we are to be seeking outsiders. We should have a laser focus on the people that Jesus' heart beat for. I I had a friend uh, at this same camp that I worked at. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody so on fire for evangelism. And he said, Andy, it's like if you put your ear up to the chest of Jesus Christ, what you'd hear is people, 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 people. That's the heartbeat of Jesus. And because of that, he constantly would seek out the outsider. In verse 2 and 5, it says this Continue steadfastly in prayer, be watchful. In it with thanksgiving. And then in verse five, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Two things here. Watching for the outsider. We need to be watching. We need to be alert. Are we even aware of the people God has placed around us in his sovereignty and in his wisdom of all eternity? Are we aware of who he has placed in the cubicle next to you? In the apartment next to you? Are we aware? Are we even watching to see, God, who might you have Put around me on purpose. And then we've got to be thankful that God would include us in his covert rescue operation. I don't know about you, but I love covert operation stuff. I like the movies, I like the books. Anything I get my hands on that has to do with some sort of covert operation, any movie that comes out Jason Bourne style, I am in. Because I love the action, I love the surprises. And you know what it starts to sound like very quickly? It starts to sound like someone who is walking with Jesus and sharing their faith because it becomes a covert rescue operation. And your faith becomes exciting. Your faith becomes something you can't wait to do the next day. It's not something you have to do to check off a box. It's something you can't wait to do. And then in verse 5 it says, Walking in wisdom towards the outsiders. I love the motion here when you're walking towards them. When you're walking towards them. Paul's making no mistake here in his words. He doesn't say when they come to you, when it just works out that they show up to your house and asking about Jesus. No, it says when you're walking towards them. In Luke chapter five, verse 27 through 32 I'm just going to read it. You don't have to turn there. But Jesus is eating. One of the many times he does this with a tax collector, his name is Levi. And listen to what it says. It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector, which by the way, back in these days, tax collectors were the most hated individuals in town. Because not only did they collect tax, but they were allowed to take whatever above that tax they wanted as their income. So if the tax was $15, they had the legal authority to say, you owe me $50. Give $15 to the government and I keep the rest. So they were crooks and everyone hated them. They were on the outside. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, said Jesus. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors, all of them, all the shady folks, were now at Levi's house. Like, can you imagine the conversations that are happening in this meeting? Hey, did you hear what I got? Like, I mean, listen to this story. Can you believe? Man, I I hauled in this much. Like, they're just probably bragging. Like, it's like, you know, I caught the fish this big. Oh, I caught a fish this big. You know, like, it's that deal. He's in a, Jesus is in a living room of tax collectors and others. We're eating with them, but the Pharisees, the religious people, and the teachers of the law who belong to the sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Dude, Jesus was the best at throwing shade. He really was. I mean, his timing's impeccable. So these dudes are accusing him. Why? Who, look, look who you're hanging out with. How could you possibly be seen with those people? And Jesus answered them and said, it is, is it not a health the healthy who need a doctor but the sick? I have not come to call the righteous but the sinners to repentance. Jesus sought the outsiders. And we could list off a bunch of verses, but I just got three that show you the mission that Jesus was on. In Luke 19.10, he says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And just like I just read in Luke 5, he says, I have not come to call the righteous. I have come to seek the sinners and lead them to repentance. You see, Jesus' heartbeat was for people. It was for people. Not good behavior, not to get cleaned up before you come to him. His heartbeat was for people. Broken, sinful people. Now I want to tell you about one of the coolest things I've ever learned in my life. You're going to get a little lesson here on the Alaskan wood frog. Take a look. This is the Alaskan wood frog. Coolest animal on the face of the planet and it has no teeth and no claws, okay? So follow me here. Here's why it's cool. This frog is found all throughout Canada, up into Alaska, thus called the Alaskan uh, wood frog. And every year around September, this frog freezes solid. You can pick them up, they won't move. You can snap their leg and it'll break and it's still alive. For seven, up to seven months, their heart stops beating. Their blood stops flowing and they stop breathing. Their glucose levels skyrocket. And that's one of them on a frozen lake. That is a frog that is alive, but its heart is not beating. The blood is not flowing. It is not breathing. It's just frozen. Scientists are amazed by this. They're studying this thing like nobody's business because they want, for obvious reasons, right? (laughs) Like, how? How does this happen? But I love that God gave us the Alaskan wood frog because, and here's why I share this with you. My fear is that the American church has become the Alaskan wood frog of Christianity. That when we see an outsider when we come up against something that someone who doesn't know Christ we freeze. Our heart stops beating for them. Our breath stops speaking to them. And our mind stops caring for them. Yeah, we're alive. Our heart is beating. Just until we see that person that scares us out of our mind, because maybe God is calling me to share the gospel with them. That's my greatest fear for me, and it's our greatest fear for you. It's my greatest fear for the American church in general, is that we would turn into the Alaskan wood frog Christians. That although alive, we are worthless. Because we're frozen. We're like the Alaskan wood frog when it comes to seeking and saving the lost. I don't know what it is that freezes you. Maybe it's fear fear of rejection, fear of not knowing what to say, fear of failing, fear of the awkwardness that it might cause. But maybe we're just frozen by our feelings because we hate that person. We don't like them, they're a jerk. Maybe we turn into Jonah. And we see Nineveh and God says, go teach, tell them about my grace and my mercy and my love. And Jonah's like, no, don't save them. They're evil, terrible people. We come to church and we sing songs about God's grace and his love and his goodness. And we walk out of here and we say nothing. Not only are we stifling our own faith, We're emptying the fuel tank. But now we're no use to the world around us because we're frozen with fear. And the fear is an unfounded fear. That's some good alliteration. Because it ain't you that changes someone's heart. It's not about you. It's the Holy Spirit in you, and it's the Holy Spirit who's working on them already. All we have to do is be faithful in coming alongside what God is already doing. If you see someone, if you think of someone in the middle of the night, you feel a tug on your heart, I promise you that is the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I'm already working on that person. Go talk to them. Go befriend them. Go ask them for lunch. Go bring them with you. Go sit by them. God's nudging your heart. He's saying, go, go, go. I'm already working. Go. You just gotta show up. Go, go, go. but we're this too often. I'm this too often. I mean, to be honest, when I feel that tug, a lot of times my thought is just, God, take it away from me, let somebody else do it. I got stuff to do. I'm busy. I got a plan. I'm going somewhere. I don't have time. That person's salvation is inconvenient for me. That's just. That's, I'm trying to be honest. That's, that's where my heart goes. And we've got to be careful because when we no longer have that desire to reach the outsider, there's a stark and scary realization that you actually might be one. If we have no heart for the lost, if we have no burden for the outsider, yet we claim Christ and that the Holy Spirit lives in us, we have to stop and think maybe we're not actually a Christian. Maybe we just do all the Christian stuff. Because Jesus' heartbeat is for people. Jesus' mission is for the outsider to bring them in. And if we don't share that heartbeat, if we have no inkling, man, we're probably a lot more like the Pharisee that Jesus lights up at every chance he gets, at the hypocrisy that they live with. We must be seeking the outsider and the lost, the spiritually dead. And if you find yourself frozen with fear, or even worse, indifference, I want to encourage you to plead with the Holy Spirit to thaw your heart. Thaw your heart. Every seven months, that dude just thaws out and hops away. And I think maybe we, we lean towards that. We go to church and we sing, we, we worship, we go to Bible study, we go to small group. God is good. He's so good. He's, his grace is enough. I love him. I leave and I freeze my heart until I come back seven days later. And then I unthaw because I want to worship. We can't afford to be the Alaskan wood frog because that's not Jesus who Jesus called us to be. Jesus' heartbeat was for people, people, people. What does your heart beat for? My second point tonight is from verse three and four. It's this. As followers of Christ, we are to be praying for open doors and clarity. Verse three At the same time, Paul says, pray also that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. And the mystery of Christ is simply the gospel, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Guys, we're surrounded by opportunity, we are surrounded by open doors. But Paul is telling his people, pray for open doors. Pray that you would see them. Be watchful. Say, God, show me where you're working. Open my eyes so that I can see people the way you see people. Help me to see my job the way you see my job. Because maybe you hate your job, but maybe God didn't put you in your job to love your job. He puts you in your job because there are lost people that need to be rescued. I don't care how long you're in your job. I don't care how much you hate it. You can make an eternal endeavor every single day. And even a job you hate becomes exciting. Pray for perspective. Pray that God would help you see opportunities in people the way he sees them. I love how Paul says this in verse three. He says, He uh, says, Pray that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. If you were here for our Philippians series, you know this about Paul. He's like, I don't care where I'm at. I'm in prison, but I'm here for Jesus. He says in Philippians chapter one, the entire imperial guard knows I'm here for Jesus. He's in prison, but he knows why he's there. God don't waste anything. So Maybe you're saying, I'm in, I'm in chains, it's called my job. I'm in chains, it's called my loneliness. I'm in chains, it's called my, I'm bored, out of my mind. How do we use our job, our chains, our loneliness, whatever? How do we use it for Christ? It's a perspective shift. God, change my perspective. Help me see the open door. Show me the open door. And then when you do, give me clarity to speak. Like that whole thing, like I'll be a witness by how I live. Okay, great, but at some point you got to talk to people. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Matthew 28 gives us all the confidence we need. If you're fearful, throw it away. Matthew 28, Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Did you catch that? All authority in heaven and here has been given to me, Jesus Christ, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. You are not alone in sharing the gospel. Hear me say this over and over and over. You're not alone. God's already working. Just join him. Let, him, let, let God bring you in on the front row and say, hey, watch this. I'm about to blow your mind. Luke 12 Jesus says this, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you will teach you in that very moment what you ought to say. Did you catch that? Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. Saying, Listen, I will take care of it. I will give you the words to say. There's not a conversation I don't have as a pastor or I'm not walking into it saying, God, help me. Help me hear what's happening. Help me to speak with wisdom. So, speak with your grace. Help me. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus, Jesus says, The Holy Spirit will teach you. God is already working. I think sometimes when it comes to sharing our faith, we think too much of ourselves and too little of God. Can we just be real? I think I put way too much responsibility on my own shoulders. Like, I got to say it right. I got to speak right. I don't want to be awkward. Let it be awkward. God is bigger than awkward. Is he not? Sometimes I think we believe that the onus is on us when it is not. God's already working, and he wants to bring us along and let us see him go to town. Are we praying for the opportunity or are we praying for the opportunity to go away? God, just let somebody else do it. God, I pray you take this burden away from me. Get this person out of my life. Let them move away and get a new job. Are we praying for the opportunities, the open doors? And number three, as followers of Christ, we are to be bold, making most the most of every opportunity. Verse five and six. Paul says walk in wisdom towards outsiders making the best use of your time let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person We see Jesus do this again he's bold I mean in Luke chapter 19 he is walking into the town of Jericho just strolling with his boys they're just laughing cracking up drinking a big you know a big gulp whatever they're just walking And there's crowds all around them. And just imagine this scene. They're walking through town. There's crowds around. And everybody wants to get a piece of Jesus. They all want to spend some time. They all want to touch. They all want to talk to him. And there's this little tiny dude in a tree. You know where I'm going. The wee little man. Zacchaeus. Not only was he a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. So he was like Tony Soprano. right? He had earners that were paying him. This is the dude, Zacchaeus was the man, and he was the most hated man. And even the most hated man was interested in Jesus. Which tells me is people are watching. People are watching you. They wanna see if Jesus actually makes a difference in your life, because they're curious. Because the Jesus our world paints is unattractive, but there is something about Jesus that people can't stay away from. And Jesus walking with his boys through town, there's a mob around him, he stops, and he says, You, I'm gonna have dinner at your house today. Let's go have let's go have dinner. You see, the Christian life isn't only lived in a worship service or a prayer closet, it's lived in our actual relationships, our actual jobs, and our actual neighborhoods. And we take a lesson from Jesus here and say, be willing to be interrupted. He sought out, he was watchful of the outsider, Zacchaeus. He pursued him. He took the open door. And he said, you know what, let's grab some food. I wanna come to your house. Maybe this is just the way I think, but if our Christian faith is only lived out in the confines of what's comfortable, maybe a venue like this, a sanctuary, wherever you go to church, small group, If our Christian life is only that, in my mind, it's like a doctor who goes to medical school, studies all the stuff, gets the lab coat, gets the stethoscope, but never actually steps foot in the hospital. That's the Christian faith without evangelism. It's the football team that practices all week in their home field. They're they're, they're running the plays. They're getting going. They're getting going. They're huddling up. They've got it all down. They know the plays. And then when game time comes up, they're like, oh, we'll just stay here. We're not going to actually play. No, we're good. We'll just go practice again. Like, that's Christian faith without evangelism, without sharing Christ. What is it? Because this is the heartbeat of Jesus. You would not be saved. If Jesus' heart was not for you, and because Jesus' heart is for you, our heart should be for others, to know Jesus. Literally, Jesus' last words in Acts 1.8 gives us the roadmap on evangelism. Read it with me. It says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You're my witnesses. You're my people. You're gonna go represent me. In Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, these locations are very important because this is backwards in how we think about missions and evangelism. Okay, Jerusalem is where they were. Judea is the surrounding area of Jerusalem, like the county Samaria is the area outside of that to the ends of the earth and so Jesus says start here and then go out a little bit and then go out a little bit and then take it to the whole world our Christianity says to share Jesus we need to go on a mission trip across an ocean no, no that's backwards evangelism starts in Oklahoma City in Edmond in Norman in your neighborhood and then it goes to your job, and then it goes to your workout facility, and then it goes to your friend group, whatever it is. Jesus gives us the map right here. We get it backwards too often. We think, oh, if, I can, if I'm going to be a Christian, God's going to send me to Africa or South America or wherever. No, no, no. Jesus is sending you to work every day. That's where he's sending you. He's sending you to your street every day. You see, Jesus was watchful, he walked through every open door, and he was bold in not wasting a moment. It may have slowed him down or it changed his schedule, but he was quick in taking advantage of every opportunity, knowing his calling and his mission. And as followers and students of Christ, we are to do the same. So we, I want to close this series out. I, I, I love this topic. I, I don't want you to think I'm mad at you. I, here's what I want. I want you to know what it is to have life and life to the full. And if you are a Christian, if you grew up in a Christian home, and like I, I'll start, I'll end with where I started. If you're bored, start sharing your faith. And your faith will come alive. Because just praying by yourself and reading your Bible and going to small group and going to church and singing the songs, although good, are useless if we don't go use them. God is already working in your life. Let's take advantage of every opportunity so I always end with one truth and two questions. Here they are. The truth tonight is that Jesus is intentionally and consistently seeking outsiders to bring them in. Jesus is intentionally and consistently he sought outsiders and shared the gospel with them. That's the truth. That's that's our master teacher. That's our savior. That's the guy we're following. So the question is then, are we actually following him? Are we learning from our master teacher? The first question that I wanted to ask yourself is, am I intentionally seeking to share the gospel of Jesus Christ consistently? And if not, ask God to reveal why not. Why not? What fear is keeping you from sharing the gospel? What lie are you believing that if you were to share the gospel, this would happen? What is it? If you're not sharing the gospel, why not? You need to let that marinate there. Let's chew on that. Ask God to show you. And the second question is, has to do with this little card right here. So pull it out. Grab a pen or something. Because here's what I'm gonna challenge you to do, gathering. It'd be great if we just talked about this and maybe felt a little conviction. I walked out like, mm, man, oof. Andy really really slapped us around tonight, you know, (laughs) that kind of stuff. But no, 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 we're not gonna stop there. I want you to write down two names, one on each line, of someone who is near to you. Who's near to you? Who has God already placed in your life that you have a relationship with, that you have uh, an opportunity? Two people. And I want you to write it down before you leave tonight. I want you to tuck it in your Bible, Put it in your car. And I want you to start doing what Paul says to do. Listen to this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open us uh, a door open for the word. You write those names down and you start praying for that person all the time. God, give me an open door for blank. Give me an open door. Show me and give me clarity. Give me the boldness. Give me the courage to step into the open door. Because it's not on you. God's already working. So let that, that lie that it's all about you and, you and how articulate you are and that you gotta know every answer, let those go. And you start praying for those two people. And you start seeing doors open that you never saw before. Part of the reason we don't evangelize is because we don't think about it. But let's put a name or names to the call on your life as a Christian. Jesus calls the outsiders in and says welcome home. And then when we're in he says now here's your role, go out and bring more people in. Because I love them and I made them and I care for them just like I do you. So we're gonna go into our 120 seconds. If you haven't been here and you don't know what that is, just take 120 seconds for you to sit in your chair and pray over what was spoken tonight. How do you respond in obedience to the call in your life as an evangelist? So the band's gonna come, they're gonna play a little instrumental. I just want you to take a few minutes and just pray. And every week, Our prayer team is in the back. I can't think of a better time than tonight to look at those two names and say, I'm gonna get out of my seat and move and we're gonna go pray right now with our prayer team about those people. Let them pray for you to have the strength and the courage to step into the open door. Let them pray for you. Let them pray over you. Let them pray for the names on that card because we're about to go back into worship. And after 120 seconds, we're going to worship the God that saved us and rescued us and brought us from death to life. And it is the same God who says, Now I've got a role for you and a purpose for you. All that praying, all that Bible reading, all that small group, all that worldview, all that cultivating. All right, let's put it to use. Let's go. Like, I love this church that I go visit, and as you walk out, they always say, Let's go, church. Let's go, church. Let's go, church. Because church is not this building. You are the church. Go be the church. Go on your rescue mission. Because God has given you friends and you relationships that I will never have. You are God's rescue plan. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this night. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you not only rescue us, God, but you give us um, a calling on our life that's greater than ourselves and our own comfort and our own pleasure. So God, in the next 120 seconds, Lord, I pray that you would work, that you would give us names, that you would give us boldness, and that we would start right now praying for those people, that they would come to know you as their Lord and Savior, that they would know the forgiveness that's found in Christ, that, they are wa- that there's an eternal family waiting for- to welcome them home. God, use us. Speak to us.